It is the year 1202 and Cardinal Bishop Guido von Preneste cannot believe it. The papal legate has been here in Cologne for quite some time and what does he find? A dispute in the camp of Otto IV's supporters. The ruler himself and his powerful ally, the Archbishop of Cologne, Adolf of Altena, are in a bitter quarrel. The two have been bickering so loudly for three days that everyone in the neighborhood and in the Archbishop's palace, not far from Cologne Cathedral, can hear the two squabblers. For almost five years now, Otto IV of the House of the Welves had been struggling for power in the empire. He had actually had a good start. His uncle, Richard the Lionheart, the English king, was on his side. And since 1199, even the Pope, a very powerful ally. He had summarily excommunicated all those who were on the opposing side of Otto IV, a very powerful tool back then. What were the ruler and the Archbishop of Cologne arguing about? Power, money and property, of course. Guido of Prenest's side. Now of all times, two were arguing. But what the heck, he thought to himself, somehow he would bring the two squabblers together again. And guess who would once again benefit from this dispute? That's right, the citizens of Cologne, who would once again take a little more of the city's rule away from the archbishop. After all, what is still primarily a dispute over the throne between two great dynasties in the empire is largely a matter of protecting the interests of the citizens of Cologne. Free and unhindered trade with England and the fervor shaking off of the archbishop's authority over power in the city. This will be the red line in this conflict, which otherwise takes place, as I said, at an imperial level. And with that, welcome back to the History of Cologne, a podcast about the history of the city of Cologne that is over 2,000 years old, but until it became what it is today, this old city on the Rhine has endured a colorful and rich past, and hence it can therefore be seen as a microcosm of European history. In this podcast, you can listen as the city grows from the Romans up until our present time. I hope you have enjoyed the fairy tale lesson in the last episode. There were a nice change from the conflict we had already started and which we will return to this, uh, in this episode. What had happened again? Since 1198, two rulers, two dynasties, have been fighting for power in the empire. On the one side were the Hohenstaufen dynasty, who had previously ruled the Holy Roman Empire, and on the other, the Welfs the powerful noble family whose former member, Henry the Lion, had, he was still a member, but he was dead, so that's why I said former member, um, he had ruled an empire within the empire, like a ruler in his own right. A complicated political skirmish ensured, ensued after the unexpected death of the still very young Henry VI in 1197. In the end, there were two pretenders to the throne. Philip of Swabia from the still ruling Hohenstaufen dynasty and Otto IV from the Welfe dynasty. Otto IV actually had little chance. He had previously been a minor nobleman and hardly had any power of his own had it not been for Cologne and the English king Richard the Lionheart. Both supported Otto's claim to the throne. Help also came from Rome in the form of Pope Innocent III. Without this help, Otto would probably not even have dared to throw his hat into the ring. What was striking about Cologne's support? The inhabitants and Archbishop were both united on the side of Otto IV. 
but will it stay that way? We find out in this episode directly after the intro. You know my basic theory about Cologne by now. Cologne has always been flexible when it comes to loyalty to the powerful, as long as it was to its own advantage, even if the advantage could also be a disadvantage for many others outside. This is exactly what happened when Cologne opted for a non-Hohenstaufen guy as the new ruler of the empire. It was Cologne's decisive support that kept Otto IV in the running in his battle for the crown and thus significantly prolonged the conflict, all because it was hoped that this would win the favor of England, the city's most important and above all most lucrative trading partner. We had remained in the year 1198 in the last episode. Philip of Swabia, the Hohenstaufen candidate, wanted to destroy the main support of his enemy as quickly as possible, namely Cologne. But Cologne would remain an unpregnable fortress until 1794. The large new city wall, which had been built since 1180, was still a long way from completion, but the previous Roman wall, including ramparts and moats from 1106, also made Cologne impregnable from a military point of view at the time. What was a knight on a horseback supposed to achieve here against the stone wall? So Philip left without making any progress. But the, by the winter of 1198, a stalemate had been reached. Although Otto IV had come under pressure, he had not been defeated. The bloody game for power was to go into extra time for almost 20 years. So neither side was able to win the quick decision in 1198. Little change in the spring of 1199 either. Otto IV sought the protection of Cologne's walls and once again Philip of Swabia's army moved in front of the city, as the city wall had not miraculously vanished into thin air, the same thing happened as the year before. The Hohenstaufen guy was forced to abandon his campaign against Cologne without success. The year 1199 therefore threatened to remain just as much of a stalemate as the year before. But then news came to the kingdom, to the empire, better said, that was to shake up the balance of power somewhat. Richard the Lionheart, the English king and one of Otto's main supporters, died after being hit by an arrow on April 6, 1199. A truly unlucky king in many respects, his crusade had hardly achieved anything, he had been taken prisoner in Austria and had had to virtually bankrupt his country of England in order to pay his ransom. Now he had also been killed by an arrow. Although many rulers still fought in the battles at that time, it was extremely rare for them, the kings and rulers at that time, to die in the process. Bad luck for Richard the Lionheart. This was a serious crisis for Otto IV. One of his greatest supporters had fallen away. The new English king, John Lackland, assured him of his support, but nothing more than warm words were forthcoming. On the contrary, the English king even sought peace with the French king, since the whole endeavor to hoist a wealth candidate like Otto to the throne had the background of obtaining an ally for England's fight against France, the whole thing was now invalid. If England no longer had a war with France, why join in in the German dispute over the throne? 
and so came the year 1200, when Otto IV really had a hard time. The man who had been instrumental in starting the dispute over the German throne, Cologne Archbishop Adolf von Altena, also seemed to be wavering. After all, he had only wanted to impose a non-Hohenstaufen emperor back in 1198. Now he had a bloody dispute over the throne on his doorstep and had to choose between plague and cholera. I have no idea if that's a metaphor in English, by the way. I hope you know what I mean. Between another Hohenstaufen candidate, who he feared would turn the empire into a hereditary monarchy, or his previous ally, who was a wealth and the son of Henry the Lion, the same Henry the Lion in whom Adolf's predecessors had been one of the main participants in the disempowerment of the powerful wealth. Wouldn't the son want revenge for his father? But Adolf had been forced to side with Otto, as it is well known, but here in the year 1200, the Archbishop of Cologne faltered more than of Cologne's football club in its sporting performance in recent years. Had Adolf of Altena backed the wrong horse? Of course, this attitude did not go unnoticed, and it made the people of Cologne furious, because they were still completely on the side of the wealth candidate Otto IV. No Hohenstaufen on the throne of the empire, that was the motto in the city, among the people. You have to imagine that. The Archbishop of Cologne, who had anointed and crowned Otto as king, as anti-king, better said, now was wavering. The English king had effectively withdrawn from the conflict as an ally of the Welfs. A large part of the empire was also opposed to Otto. However, only the city of Cologne and its inhabitants stubbornly stood by Otto IV. Why? They probably continued to trust the city's strong walls, and not without good reason. And trade with England was the city's lifeline. They did not want to give that up. And so it was the loyalty of the people of Cologne that really kept Otto in the game. Otherwise, he would have been lost, really. And so Otto managed to save himself until the year 1202, a year in which the tide turned back into his favor, because if anything was certain in the Middle Ages, it was this. Peace between France and England would never last long. And that is exactly what happened. The peace between the two powers only lasted two years, so from 1200 to 1202. Suddenly, the English king, John Lackland, saw that it might be worth coming to, the, coming to the aid of his relative in the Holy Roman Empire again. Ties were immediately strengthened again, and alliance was concluded on September the 8th in 1202, and mutual aid was guaranteed. Otto IV was now back in the race, and once again had the means to fight against his Hohenstaufen rival. This brings us back to the intro of this episode, because also in September 1202, Archbishop Adolf of Altena of Cologne, who had become fickle in his loyalty, and Otto IV returned to Cologne from what is now the Netherlands. While they had been able to negotiate there successfully with their allies, back in Cologne they quarreled fiercely. Remember, Adolf of Altena supported Otto IV in his fight for the throne, for the crown, but like a sort of Damocles, though. Prince of Cologne feared that the son of Henry the Lion might reclaim the territories that the Church of Cologne had once taken from his father, 
like the Dutch of Westphalia. Otto IV had once solemnly renounced this, but other members of Otto's family did not see it that way. And the king did nothing to stop his family from making these demands, tax concessions, for example, as well, that Otto had once given in return for Adolf's loyalty and willingness to be crowned and anointed as king were probably not honored either. Above all, the transfer of further customs and minting rights were not happening. Otto had probably kept these for himself now, for the time being, because he was always short of money. After all, he had to wage a war and needed all the financial resources he could find, and the war was dragging on now for several years. This made the Archbishop of Cologne furious and angry, but perhaps it was also the first attempt to find an excuse to drop Otto and perhaps switch to the Hohenstaufen camp to Philip of Swabia. Who knows? That's just speculation on my part. As already mentioned in the intro, the papal legate Guido of Prenest mediated between the two disputants, who should have been allies after all, and when the agreement was reached, there was a little surprise. A third party had become involved in the agreement between the, emp- between the king and the Archbishop of Cologne, and this third party was the secret winner of this dispute. As you know, when two people argue, Someone third is always in favor. In this case, our city of Cologne, on historic scale in fact. The agreement was not only signed by the archbishop and the king, but also by the Cologne clergy and the citizens of Cologne as separate contracting parties. 24 Cologne citizens were selected for the citizenry, naturally those who probably belonged to the Richardseche were rich and political or influential. Long gone were the days when the archbishop could make decisions for the whole city on his own like an absolutistic king in the 18th century in France. The king and archbishop had to make many promises to the citizens of Cologne. The document required Otto IV to finally abolish the hated Rhine toll at Kaiserswerth, which, as you remember, Emperor Barbarossa had once erected there in order to harm Cologne's trade with England. This was because the merchants from Cologne had to pass there with their ships on the Rhine before continuing on to the North Sea and then up the Thames to London. The agreement stipulated that although the king had had already promised this, he would have to publicly confirm it again. Imagine that, a king being forced to say out loud that he had not yet kept his promise. What a loss of authority. Do you think a Charlemagne or Otto the Great would have let a city and its mob dictate something like that to them? However, the archbishop did not come off well in the document either. The Cologne clergy and the citizens of Cologne agreed that they would ensure, they would ensure, that the archbishop of Cologne, Adolf of Altena, remained loyal to the wealth party, so to Otto IV. They swore a joint oath to renounce their allegiance to the Archbishop, should he, the Archbishop, defect to Philip of Swabia, so to the enemy camp. Although appointed by the Archbishop to administer a castle and a state or whatever, each ministerial would then remain on Otto's side. That's a tough one, for in this matter it undermined the Archbishop's old previous power as temporal lord over his territory and his um, subjects. The citizens of Cologne were now watching over their archbishop, for the time being, 
If he did not behave himself, he would have nothing more to say, let alone decide. As I said, this only applied to the dispute over the throne itself and to Adolf of Altena as a person. Regardless of this, still, I find this a remarkable achievement. Another winner of this agreement was, of course, Pope Innocent III, who was sitting in faraway Rome and had arranged the whole thing through his legate. He now saw himself as the decider in this dispute over the German throne in the empire and hoped that by taking sides with the weaker Welf Otto IV, the Hohenstaufen power that threatened his papal state in Italy as well would be broken, because in Sicily, the later Frederick II already sat on the Sicilian throne. He was a Hohenstaufen son, and uh, along with southern Italy that he ruled together, he virtually bordered on the gates of Rome. The Pope was determined to prevent another Hohenstaufen now from ruling the Holy Roman Empire as well, and there's also large parts of northern Italy. And, if you look on the map from this period, the Pope really fell surrounded on all sides by the Hohenstaufen dynasty. And not without good reason. From 1203, the Pope became more active in this intrigue game and did what the Vatican is still good at today. Diplomacy. Innocent busily wrote letters to various rulers in the empire and throughout Europe to solicit support for Otto IV or to keep existing allies as such for the wealth. And something important, this is a first, Cologne was the first German city to receive a papal letter where the addressee was not a bishop or high-ranking cleric, but the entire population of the city. No other city in the empire had ever had this privilege before. And the Pope was not sparing with his praise for Cologne. Among other things, he wrote, quote, Repraise in the Lord your unwavering bravery. It shone from the beginning in your loyalty to our dearest son, the exalted King Otto, the chosen Roman emperor, so that it never flagged, neither in the meantime nor at the end, but grew hotter and hotter from day to day, and at the same time your obedience increased more and more. For since you have held fast to him, you have not wavered to the other side, he means the Hohenstaufen side, nor have you un sorry, nor have you wandered in stumbling steps on different paths, but rather have held firmly to the original attention, promoting his, so to the fourth cause, to the best of your ability. End quote. That was that was nice, wasn't it? Joseph Stalin. The dictator of the Soviet Union once said during the Second World War, how many divisions does the Pope have, making fun of the Vatican, but one should not underestimate the papal states also in the Middle Ages. In military terms, the papacy was quite a force to be reckoned, with at that time not a great power, but certainly capable of playing its part, even though they did not join this conflict. But of course the Pope had sharper blades in his armory, as the now recognized head of the church in Western Europe, he possessed an authority that carried political weight. Gone were the days where Carolingians, Ottonians and even the Salians treated the popes as if they were mere petty landed gentry who could be replaced at will like puppets. No innocent III, as Poe was just much a power politician as the other magnates of his time. So we still have a complex conflict going on. 
the Hohenstaufen guy, Philip of Swabia, who was supported by many in the empire and had an advantage on paper in terms of money and troops. On the other side, we have Otto IV, who can actually only claim Lorraine for himself in the empire, so the western part north of the Alps of the empire, the, the Rhineland. Above all, the northern Rhineland, and what is now the Netherlands, to be more explicit. But with the English king at his side, who hoped to gain an ally against France, and a pope who wanted to create space for himself in Italy, Otto IV was still in the game. The situation remained tense for him, but not impossible. Well, then comes the day when Adolf of Altena, the Archbishop of Cologne, finally has a change of heart. More about this right after a short drinking break. The year 1203 had started actually well for Otto IV with the renewed support of England and the Pope as well as the military might of Cologne. The wealth was able to win several battles against the Hohenstaufen opponents. However, in August of the same year, his English ally, King John Lackland, increasingly lost the upper hand in the war against France, which had been raging again since 1202 uh, parallel. In a flash, the French king had reconquered numerous territories in France that had previously been under English rule. Having come under pressure in this way, John, the English king, probably forgot from time to time to send sufficient funds to Otto and the kingdom, who thus once again lost his initiative in the battle for the crown. Otto suffered a moral setback at the same time as his own brother switched to the camp of his opponent, Philip of Swabia, to protect his own rule. As you know, honor and reputation are everything at this time. His own brother's switch to the enemy was a heavy blow for Otto's um, reputation. And in Cologne, too, the Hohenstaufen agents were always secretly sounding out whether the mood among the population was perhaps ripe for a change. Everyone in the empire now knows that the Archbishop of Cologne is wavering. The Pope gets news from that, and so... He swore the people of Cologne to Otto in a new letter. Innocent really told the people of Cologne everything they wanted to hear and wrote that they should remain on Otto's side, quote, regardless of anyone's order, if such an order were to be issued contrary to ours, because you are not bound by it against our will, end quote. And the Pope will write several more letters to Cologne, but I want to make it short here. The thing is, if you are a community in Cologne, you know, citizenry in Cologne, that wants to get more and more independent from your city ruler, those words coming from the Pope really strengthens your, your, your desire to achieve that goal. And again, the Pope thus calls on the people of Cologne to go to extremes. Should the Archbishop change sides, they should renounce their allegiance to him Perhaps Innocent also received direct information from Cologne about the fickleness of the Archbishop of Cologne. But again, the Pope really wants to destroy the century-long uh, tradition of the Archbishop being the city ruler in that conflict. In October 1204, the Pope even launched a desperate attempt to prevent Adolf from converting to a Hohenstaufen camp, but 
it was no use. Frustrated by Otto's unfulfilled promises that he made back in 1198, the constant threat of losing the duchy was failure to him, to a wealth ruler, and the wealth's poor political and military situation. Yeah, Adolf of Altena got cold feet. On November the 11th or the 12th, Archbishop Adolf of Altena announced his move to King Philip of Swabia, that he was changing sides. He had now effectively abandoned the man who could never have become king without him taking action in the past, for only Adolf of Altena had possessed the power to crown and anoint Otto as king in Aachen back in 1198, but that was exactly what now had happened. Adolf had changed sides. He was now on the side of the Hohenstaufen candidate Philip of Swabia. You see, power politics can be so stupid. After all, Adolf's rejection of a Hohenstaufen ruler had triggered this whole conflict in the first place. And now on January 6th, 1205, Adolf had Philip of Swabia, his former enemy, come to Aachen and crowned him their king of the empire. The same thing he had done for Otto a few years earlier in 1198 and triggering this whole conflict. Even if the archbishop in the city of Cologne lost more and more influence, nevertheless, they, the archbishops of Cologne, continued to be powerful imperial princes. Almost everything and everyone of the nobles of the Rhineland joined and shifted to the Hohenstaufen camp. These included the magnates from Brabant, Gelders, Ansberg, smaller domains, and the increasingly powerful dynasty of Berg, which had previously already provided the Archbishop of Cologne three times in the recent past. The Archbishop of Cologne had switched to the Hohenstaufen camp. However, his city of Cologne, his episcopal see, his capitals, if you can speak of a capital in the Middle Ages, it had not. It is almost comical to think that Cologne was now almost the only participant in the battle against the now overwhelming Hohenstaufen superiority for Philip of Swabia. With the fall of the magnates of the Lower Rhine switching to the Hohenstaufen camp, Otto IV's situation was almost hopeless. But he still had Cologne, the largest and probably pow most powerful city of the empire. This was a dramatic turn of events in the dispute over the German throne. It had been raging since 1198 and in 1205 the situation for Cologne seemed quite bleak. And don't forget, this conflict goes on for nearly 20 years, so we are not finished at all. And now in 1205, the city's own ruler of Cologne had set switch to the side of the enemy, while the city of Cologne, the people of Cologne, continued to cling to Otto IV. How would Cologne get out of this, from this sea of enemies around them? Right in front of the doorsteps, the enemy territory already starts for Cologne, because everything else still belongs to the is under direct control of the Archbishop. We will find out another time. At the end of the episode, I would like to say thank you again to my patrons. 
And thank you very much to all those who threw in a tip for me in my hats. This time to Claudia, Antje, Maren, Wolfgang, Silvia, Patrick, Christian, Manuela, Maren again, and Helga. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, and all I can say is we will continue this conflict in the next episode. I think it will then be the last episode of this conflict because we want to carry on with other topics as well. But recommend me further. Promote this podcast wherever you can. Give it a rating in your favorite podcast app. That helps a lot and is the best and cheapest <laughs> cheapest uh, way to support this podcast. And as always, thank you very much and auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>